Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will deliver a message about the religious leaders who missed out on the significance of Jesus' birth. You can find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. Let there be peace. Are you, are you experiencing peace? You know, a lot of times when we reflect on peace on earth, which certainly is a theme at Christmas time, and we think, what would peace be like? Usually it's, you know, someone in our, our relationship would treat us better or something at work would go more smoothly. And I don't mean to disappoint you at Christmas, but those things are never going to happen. So peace isn't going to be from outside, is it? Peace is always going to be from within. Jesus promised it, John 16, in this world you will have trouble. That's not an optimistic promise, is it? In this world you will have trouble. Take heart. I have overcome the world. So peace will be living more in Christ than living in this world. That's a tall order, but I think that's the answer, don't you? We return to our series, Missing Christmas. Is anyone missing Christmas? All right, let me put it this way, and I want some honesty. Has anyone not finished their decorations, putting them up? Come on, hold those hands up, hold those hands up. I think that Leanne and I have decided that our deadline for decorations is going to be New Year's Day. <laughs> it just seems to get bigger and bigger, you know what I'm saying? And I want to help. I wish I had said this a few weeks ago. I, wanna, I really love you and I want to help you. When those Christmas lights say, put no more than five of them together, don't put more than five. Or you will have our Christmas tree where they start blowing out. Now, who in this room knew there were fuses in plugs? Where were you? <laughs> you open up that little flat hatch and there's a little bead of something in there. And the ones that you get in the sack will not go in there. Have y'all noticed that? So we have trees with places out. Today, my family and I are headed to Augusta, which is where my extended family lives. And there's a few houses along the way that keep up Christmas lights all year long. I'm almost convinced to follow that method. But today, we focus on the indifferent religious leaders who missed the first Christmas. Each week, I'm covering some character in the story who was in very close proximity to the birth of Jesus, but completely missed the significance, the spiritual significance of his birth. Take out your message guide and you'll see the theme verse, which I won't explain now, but we'll just touch it and then I'll come back to it later. But the theme verse from Matthew chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 
says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Now, who were these men? Leading priests and teachers of the law. So I want to I give you some background. And I, let me just say this about uh, my approach to teaching. I know that when I go into the background of some of these people, and it's, it sounds sort of historic, historical and um, almost biographical, some of you aren't interested in that. Well, I understand. But I've got a few eggheads in here, and they want to really hear what's the background here. And so what I'm trying to do... <laughs> yes, give us a shout, eggheads. But what... So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to put some cookies on a lot of different shelves. Something for the people that are just new seekers. Something for the people who are new believers in Christ. But then there has to be something for those who have walked with Christ many years. So what I want you to do is you pick up the cookies from the shelf that fits you. Doesn't have to all be reaching you. So if you say, well, I am non-academic, then you just shut your mind off for a few minutes as I teach some background here. I want you to understand that the Jewish priest, who knows what tribe they were from? They were from one tribe, tribe of Levi, beautiful. And they were all descendants of one man. They followed one man. Who was the first priest? Aaron. Yes. The first high priest was Moses' brother. Now, priests weren't just religious functionaries. Priests had considerable political as well as religious responsibility, but also influence and power. Because the law of Moses, you see, applied to religious and civil matters. There was no separation of church and state. They were all together. And so the law of Moses, whereas it talked about offering sacrifices and the proper worship of God, also talked about what you have to pay when you accidentally kill your neighbor's cow. So there were all, all of that was written into the law of Moses. So these men who were priests also acted as judges. Now the leading priests, and some translations don't call them the leading priests, they call them what? No, not here. I mean, in this verse, in this passage. Some of you are reading different, different uh, translations. It calls them the chief priests. This is plural. This is a group of men. They were led by the high priest. But the high priest, you see, according to the law, was supposed to serve for life. And the high priest had one unique duty, different than the other priests, and he only did it once a year. You know what it was? Go behind the curtain. Exactly. He entered the Holy of Holies once yearly on the Day of Atonement. And he offered sacrifice for the people. It was, it was such an intimidating experience. And the people were so aware of of, of the power of God and the glory of God. And it was so ominous and, and so terrible in the right sense, not in a negative sense, but in a positive sense. 
it was so awesome that they feared offending God. And because of that, the high priest would have a cord tied to his ankle in case while he was performing his duties, he did something that offended God and God would strike him dead. And so when he hit the ground, someone could drag him out from the Holy of Holies because no one would enter except for the high priest. Now, by the time of Jesus' birth, the office had become controlled by the Roman rulers. So actually, the Roman king, Herod, who was appointed the king by Rome, and the, other, and the others who followed him and, and preceded him, they were now appointing and removing the high priest according to whim. They passed out this position as political favoritism. Sometimes it was even purchased. So at this time now, at Jesus' birth, but you see it throughout Jesus' life, there were several living high priests and former high priests at the same time. But there should never have been but one. And only when that one died was there another one appointed. So you see that corruption has entered this, this realm of the temple and the practice of religious, Jewish faith. Now, there were several other in this com, that composed these leading priests. There was the captain of the temple, and he actually was the one who was over the temple police guards. So they had the ability to arrest people. There were leaders of 24 different divisions of priests who rotated through the temple performing services. There was a, a temple treasurer, and then there were some other overseers and officials. Now, most of the leading priests were Sadducees. Sadducees, that was a party. So it was a religious and a political party. They were of the upper class, the ruling class they were referred to as, the wealthy. And the Sadducees only believed in the first five books as being inspired. Anybody know what those first five are called? The Torah, yes. And because of that, because they believed in none of the rest of the Bible, they didn't believe in angels or the resurrection, or eternal life. You say, well, why are you telling us all this? So that as you read the scripture, you'll, you'll gather the meaning of some of the things Jesus said to these men. So giving you a little bit of context here. Acts 23, 8. Now the teachers of the religious law, and they also are called scribes in many translations, were men who copied by hand, the text. Y'all may be surprised at this, some of you young ones. There were no Xerox machines. Now, some of you from my era remember duplication happening how, Bobby? You smell it, didn't you? Well, those of us that remember it all suffered brain damage from those fumes. So if you wonder what's wrong with your parents and people my age, we lost a lot by the memory graph fumes. But these men sat on the stools and copied. And that's why sometimes there are mistakes. 
And you'll see it in your translation, some scribal errors, some omissions, some numbers weren't copied correctly because men were copying documents over candles in sometimes in, in caves or in darkened places and a guy's sitting there copying and he knows his wife's mad at him for something. But they had other things going on. You see what I'm saying? So there are some mistakes in some of those hand-copied manuscripts. Not significant, but there are, they do exist. Well, these men not only copied, but they also studied the Scripture extensively, so they became regarded as experts and authorities in the Jewish law, and they were referred to as lawyers. The scribes were primarily Pharisees. Pharisees were from all classes, but a lot of them were working-class men. And they held a very literal view of the whole Scripture, which isn't, of course, New Testament yet. But it does include all the, the, the prophets as well as the first five books. And they were very strict regarding all of the scriptural law, which included the ceremonial, the ceremonial law, but also the moral laws. But they also had something else. That's called the oral traditions. Now, you know, we covered the life of Jesus and we saw these words popping up, the oral traditions. Now, these leading priests and scribes, Sadducees and Pharisees were for the most part pretty indifferent about the arrival of Jesus. So they missed Christmas. There are a number of ways that I'm going to pull out of this text about how religious leaders displayed indifference about that first birth. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, the religious leaders displayed first dispassion about the Messiah. And by dispassion, I just mean indifference, uh, lack of emotion. And we continue at verse 4. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. And he asked, where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities in Judah. For a ruler will come from you. Now, this is a 700-year-old prophecy from Micah 5.2. And then the rest of it is from 2 Samuel 5. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Now this is a reference to David who was called shepherd when he was actually named king. David was not the first king of Israel. Who was? Saul. And in, beginning in January, I'm going to deal with uh, the prophet and priest Samuel who actually was the one that anointed and essentially appointed these two men. 
as king, or God chose them, and then he recognized them. So we're going to look some more at the, the function of prophets and the, and the beginning of the kings uh, in the winter. David was referred as the shepherd of his people when he was crowned king. And the Messiah would be a king like David, who guided, who cared for, who protected his people, and one who had a heart after God. These Jewish leaders notice, though, in the, because the text is, 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 the statement is absent, that when these wise men said, the Messiah has been born, the religious leaders expressed no interest in it, did they? There's nothing in here about it. These men have said, we saw the star, we know the Messiah's been born, and they didn't say anything about it. They were asked, now when, where is he going to be born? And these men knew the scripture. They answered the king by heart. They quoted it back to him. Because understand, the Jewish people had been waiting for the Messiah for centuries. Ever since Moses first prophesied that a great prophet would come in Deuteronomy 18. But everyone, all the Jewish people, knew where the Messiah would be born. John chapter 7, verse 42. So these religious leaders were familiar with the Scripture. They knew all about the expected Messiah. But they had grown dispassionate, unconcerned about the arrival of the Savior. It didn't matter to them. They knew where to go, but they didn't go. And so they missed Christmas. Now, if you think about it, these men were in a holy occupation. Their job was to study the Scripture. They served in the temple. They prepared and offered sacrifices in service of God and the people. But their supernatural function became an ordinary job. And they lost their passion. Matthew 15.8, and you see it behind me. It says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Have you noticed how hard it is to stay enthused about anything you're exposed to regularly? That's your relationship with Christ. That can happen in a home, in marriage. Now, they certainly wanted a Messiah. They wanted a Messiah to deliver them from oppression. But they had waited a long time. And they had gotten used to oppression. It was very familiar to them. Some of you have lived and possibly are living in some form of oppression. Or mistreatment. And you never would have thought you could get used to it. But you can. And these people, it was normal for them to live under oppression. Their daily responsibilities of carrying out these important religious duties 
were coupled with managing their families. These priests, unlike Catholic priests, were married. They had families. And so they had to deal with the normal demands and the burdens of life. And because of that, they became desensitized to the supernatural. It dampened their passion. And it happens to all of us, including me. You know, I, 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 I study and I pray, but, but, I, but then I, I think, okay, am I communicating the good news adequately so people who don't know can understand it? Are people responding? Um, am I clear enough for brand new believers, and yet am I challenging for mature believers? And then above all this, are we meeting our budget? Can we pay our employees? And so all these things can occupy our minds. And so here, serving God in the midst of spiritual things, these mundane issues can dampen passion. You know, I know in me that when I feel this, this burden, you know, I can become more insistent about things. Or are we, are we meeting our deadlines? Are we, are we doing this? Are we collecting our budget? What do we need to do? But let me tell you this. If you notice that I'm insistent, I want you, yes, thank you for listening to me, but I want you to be led by the Holy Spirit. Because I can be as susceptible as anybody, you see, to letting the pressures of life be reflected in me. Our faith can become ordinary. Even the things of God, the, the Word of God, this book was, was spoken by God. It's His love letter to us. And yet, how many of us found any time to read it this week? They, it loses its importance, doesn't it? Because it's so accessible. And so we can become so accustomed to the Word of God and even to worship. We, we have the chance to speak to God and He always hears. And yet, we just can't find time. Now, if you stopped and you said, would you like to speak to God? Well, of course I would. But in the busyness, in the mundane tasks and duties and obligations, it's just hard to find time. And so the things we're so familiar with, with worship, you know, we offer praise to God. But, but sometimes it can just feel like singing, can't it? They can become so familiar that they lose their supernatural significance. They lose their eternal importance. And so we can start taking access to the creator of the universe, the lover of our souls. We can start taking that for granted. Shocking, isn't it? And we lose some interest. Anybody experienced this? Or is it just me? Well, how can we prevent that from happening? 
Well, let me make a couple of suggestions, just practical suggestions. You have to make time for reflection. It may be a minute. It might be an hour. It might be seven days a week, but if you can only get to two. But you have to put a pause in where you stop and you reflect on the God who loved you and sent his son. It's, it's ideal if you can do it daily, but do it when you can, but do it. And then you have to figure out how can I enter the presence of God? And see, everybody is not the same. Did you know that? Do you know how you experience God? Have you discovered it? 1 some people it is praying. And for some it's pray on your knees. When Evan moved away, Leanne took over her closet to pray in. But Evan came back with her clothes. She's married now, so maybe I think Leanne's reclaimed the closet. But is it prayer for you? Is it singing? For some people, it's singing worship songs. For others, it's reading the Bible. For some, it's fasting. And, and I still fast every week. But sometimes the spiritual result of fasting is I just am hungry at the end of the day. You see what I'm saying? We have to, we have to vary. and We have to discover what enables me to experience the presence of God. Does this sound reasonable? It might be a walk in nature. What do you mean there's not a certain thing I have to do always? No, no, that's part of the law and the law's fulfilled. Now we're in relationship. So how do you keep the relationship alive? What reminds me of the Savior who loves me, who came to earth so many years ago to die so I could live? And if you'll discover it and you'll practice it with some regularity, you will not miss Christmas. The religious leaders also displayed disinterest about seeking the Savior. Verse 7. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he said to them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Why did he send the wise men? I mean, what you notice from this is there's no evidence that he sent the religious leaders. I mean, they would have seemed to be the, the ones best able to recognize a child, wouldn't they? But there's no indication that they plan to go. So he sent these wise men instead. Now, perhaps he didn't send the priests and scribes because he suspected that they would not help him. But it looks because it's not apparent, it's not evident that these religious leaders weren't 
interested enough to walk six miles south to Bethlehem. Now for us, we think, oh, six miles, that's a long way to walk. Well, it wasn't for them. That was just a stroll, six miles. They were accustomed to it. I mean, Mary, remember, traveled somewhere between 70 and 90 miles from Galilee, at least eight months pregnant, and may have walked. Now, she could have written on that burrow that appears on your Christmas cards and not in the Bible. So, but we're not sure of her conveyance anyway. But she may have even walked. These religious leaders, these people whose lives were, were saturated with ritual and regulation and the temple and all the things of God weren't interested enough to walk six miles. Were they afraid of the king knowing that they were even interested? They didn't, maybe they didn't even want to hint that they cared about this kid who was born because they didn't want the wrath of the king to fall on them. But think about this. Your people who your entire life and your career are committed to the worship of God and the expectation of the Messiah. But you're more scared of what a king might do to you than that you might actually experience the one you've been awaiting for centuries. How often do we let pressures and circumstances of life prevent us from seeking the Savior. A number of these religious leaders were wealthy Sadducees. And they, they just thought it best, perhaps, to get along with Herod. You know, because as long as they created no trouble for Rome, they lived comfortable lives and they were left alone. In fact, if the Messiah actually did arrive and, and, and he came with a sword to battle the Romans, the Sadducees' lives of comfort and plenty would be threatened. So they didn't really see a need for a deliverer. Things were really okay as they were. And especially a deliverer who might disrupt their lives might have a negative influence on their lives, which really were okay, pretty comfortable. And they missed Christmas. You know, we can be disinterested in seeking the Savior too if we don't see a need for Him. If our lives are comfortable... Our marriage is pretty harmonious. Our health is good. Our children are content. The gifts are wrapped. And we're sure that at least that we're not re-gifting to the person that gave us that gift. We might be reluctant to seek the Savior. Because when he arrives, he can have a disruptive influence. He tends to cause some upheaval before he brings peace. 
In fact, none of us would ever invite Jesus into our lives without seeing the need. Look at this verse. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. See, if we see no need for a Savior in our lives, we won't seek Him. And we will miss Christmas. Now, the scribes, being mostly Pharisees, likely had another reason for not traveling to Bethlehem on that first Christmas. These religious leaders, you see, displayed a determination to retain control. Now, the Pharisees, the word means to separate. And these were seen as people that were just better than everybody else. They were models of righteous living. And they carefully obeyed all the laws of the Old Testament. Who knows how many there were? Somebody over here said it. What is it? 613 laws. I know some of you are saying, can I have a list? That isn't the point. But in addition to 613 laws, they also had extensive oral traditions. Now, who knows what those were called? What's the Hebrew word? We have some Jewish folks from Jewish families in here. The Mishnah, the Mishnah. And the Mishnah, the oral traditions. Remember, Jesus kept talking about the oral traditions. Sought to clarify and specify how the law of Moses must be kept. And the oral traditions, you might argue they were developed for a a good reason. Because they wanted to protect people from any possible violation of law. By ignorance or by accident. And yet Jesus said of them, their worship is a farce because they teach man-made commands, not the commands of God in Matthew 15. And you know how Jesus was accused of violating the law throughout? I mean, we just studied the life of Jesus. He never violated God's law. He violated the oral traditions, which made these guys really angry because he didn't respect what they were teaching Everyone had to do. It was, it was the burden. Remember he talked about you burden these people so much. I'll give you an example. The Mishnah contains 39 categories of work disallowed on the Sabbath. 39 categories. An example is that the gathering of items was disallowed on the Sabbath. But if a bowl of apples in your house spilled you were allowed to pick them up and put them back in the house. I mean, in the bowl, because they didn't grow there. He said, that sounds ridiculous. That's what the laws were like. And I've told you on my trips to Israel, I've given you this illustration. But in the hotels, there would be a Shabbat Sabbath elevator. And what was the characteristic of that elevator? Stopped on every floor. The reason was so that you wouldn't do work 
pushing a button. Now, in reality, the Sabbath meant step away from your usual occupation to reflect on God. That's what it meant. But these men had written all these hundreds and hundreds. There's six volumes of rules. And so you can suddenly feel the weight of trying to obey. And these men were misdirected. Because, see, now they're focused is on knowing and obeying the rules and regulations. And see, since ordinary people, they're not even going to know the 39 things that are wrong on the Sabbath, much less the thousands of regulations. So suddenly, they control righteousness. You see that? If you want to be righteous, Jared, if you want to be righteous, you have to ask me and I have to tell you how to be righteous. Because only they knew all the oral traditions. Because again, they weren't even written down for hundreds of years. But you know what that is? That's what today we would call legalism. Focusing on obedience. Focusing on rules. Focusing on regulations. Focusing on behaviors. Instead of focusing on a relationship with God. And they're very different, aren't they? Living in a way that pleases your spouse because of love and relationship is completely different than trying to obey so she or he won't be displeased. You see the difference? Obedience doesn't create a relationship. Obedience that pleases God comes out of a relationship. It's completely different. Look at John 5. You search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. They studied it. They memorized it. They knew it. And they were completely disinterested in the Savior. They were interested in maintaining their positions. Because see they knew all the quote religious secrets. They were respected as authorities. And so they were indifferent about discovering whether the Messiah King had actually arrived. They kept the law fully, completely, perfectly. They were self-righteous. They were self-sufficient. They didn't need a Savior. So they weren't interested in locating one. These men were the unquestioned authorities on God. They exercised complete control over what was right and what was wrong according to the law. And they weren't going to allow anyone, including this supposed Messiah, to replace them as God's spokesman. So they miss Christmas. You say, well, how could we possibly be like that? Well, we can have a a, a set of behaviors that we've grown comfortable with in our practice of faith. Attending church, serving participating in small group, giving of our resources and our time. And all those are good and important. But we can be so focused on doing these things that we lose sight of a relationship with a personal Savior who loves us and gave himself for us. See, Christianity in its essence 
is an invitation to begin an ongoing relationship with Jesus. And it can begin at any age. But it's a beginning of a relationship. Can involve a small child, can involve an elderly adult, and anything in between. But it's a relationship that if relationships are healthy, they grow ever more intimate throughout our earthly lives. And then they extend, it extends into eternity. So let me urge you. Come to Jesus so you won't miss Christmas. You know, it may be that you say, well, I've been a believer for a lot of years But you know, if I'm honest, I've grown stale. Discover again the joy of your salvation through time in the presence of Christ. You know, Jesus said, I will never turn away anyone who comes to me. So it may be you say, you know what? I've hovered around church, but I've never really come to Christ. Counselors will be here. Come to the front now, if you will, counselors. And there'll be someone here to just encourage you, to pray with you. If you have a question, they can likely answer it or will certainly find out the answer for you. And they'll even anoint with oil for people with uh, some kind of ailment or illness. We don't guarantee healing, but we see healing sometimes by God's Spirit. So they're here. Let me urge you to invite someone. Don't just invite someone to Christmas Eve service. Pray about someone to invest in. And then begin to give them the, re- the gift, first of relationship, but then of invitation, not only to the Christmas Eve service, but to know Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of times people's resistance to, to faith is, is lessened at the Christmas season. So bring someone with you and follow it up, though, with them. Now, I'm closing the service, and usually we, we confirm trustees with just members voting. It's a privilege and a responsibility of membership, but I want all of you to know who these trustees are. If they'll put up this, they're already up there. Uh, the trustees are lay people, men and women, and the, these six lay people work with our, kind of our lead pastors, to give leadership to the church. So we, we work together to provide leadership. So these trustees serve one-year terms, but up to three in a row, and then they take a, a breakout. So I want to offer to you this entire slate for your confirmation. And if you agree to confirm this slate of trustees, please stand. And these are men and women that you can ask about anything. Feel free to approach them. And, you know, they're, they're a communication tool always. I mean, you're welcome to contact staff directly, of course. But they are very helpful. I'm going to pray and then we'll pick up chairs. I think you confirmed the trustees, so we'll let them all begin to serve. Um, Father, I pray that this Christmas would be a time of refreshing, not a time of exhaustion. That it would be a time when tasks don't obscure us from 
enjoying your son. Lord, by your spirit, let us see in the babe in the manger the sacrifice on the cross that came because you loved each of us. In your blessed son's name I pray, amen. Thank thank you for coming. Please help us pick up chairs. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have any questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.